Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. We are here today with stripper Shiki Love, who has been working as a stripper for 20 years. We talk about how she became a stripper, some lessons learned at the club, how and why she started Berlin Strippers Collective, how the stripper industry has changed over the past 20 years, and some red flags within the scene. I am Amanda, and this is Playful Podcast. All right, we are so happy to have Shiki Love here in the studio with us today. Yay! Applause. <laughs> um, so I want to start up, like, I want to start with hearing some about your background. So where are you from? Uh, who were you when growing up? And this, and how did you come to Europe? Oh, I was born in Venezuela in the countryside. I'm from a little village. <clears throat> but then me and my mom, we moved to Caracas. Uh, unfortunately, the political situation in my country became really complicated back in 1997. We had Hugo Chavez coming for the elections. And my mom was very lucky to have a Spanish passport. So we moved to Spain. <clears throat> and who I was, I was always a stage whore. <laughs> so I was a very shy kid only, but I came to life when I was on stage. So the stage have always been my happy place. I remember when I was a kid um, and I would be performing, people would come to my mom and said, is that the same girl that we just saw five minutes before? Because <laughs> I would just go jazz hands all over the place. I also feel like for a lot of performers, this is a true story. I think a lot of performers are actually quite shy people. And we, like introverts, you yeah, mean? Yeah, like, uh -huh. and then we create this persona and we mm -hmm. kind of own the stage because those are our moments of freedom sort of thing. Okay, so you created Shiki Love yes. Persona. I want to hear more about that. So when we moved to Europe back in 97, we moved to the Canary Islands. That's where half of my family is from. How old were you then? 17. 17. I was 17 years old. Uh, and also it was because I didn't have a Spanish passport. So it was easier for me to get it when I was still a child, no? so before 18. So that was also my mom. She's very intelligent and she's like, let's move before so we can sort out your paperwork quicker because you're still under my um, control sort of thing. No? 
So then I moved to the Canary Islands, Caracas, even though it's South America, it was a capital city at the end of the day, theater, the culture, a lot of culture. And when I moved to the Canaries, it is a cool place, but it's very holiday. It's only the beach and it's not, for me, I feel like I needed more. So I waited till I was 18, uh, got my Spanish passport. And then the next thing I knew is that I moved to London <laughs> to learn English. And then I stayed for 18 years. <laughs> wow. But moving to a city like London came with a lot of challenges because it's a very expensive city, especially for an 18 year old girl. So I didn't stop stripping by then, but I left. So I stayed in London for a year. I came back to Spain. My, my mom had a little sister. So I have a little sister now. We're not so little anymore. No, She's your 20. mom had another child. Yes, yeah, so I went yeah. back during my mom's pregnancy. I stayed with her throughout the whole pregnancy. Oh. But I, I still miss London very much because when I moved to London, I thought, oh, this is this is a place for me. And then I came back to London completely broke. I paid one month in advance, one month rent, and I had no no food in my fridge. I used to work in a bar and I was not making enough money. And I remember opening the fridge and thinking, you know, like a Scarlett O'Hara with Gone with the Wind. I don't know if you've seen this film. No. It's a really classic film. And Scarlett O'Hara goes, I'm never going to be poor again. <laughs> so I kind of said that to the fridge and off to the strip club I went. <laughs> and yeah, that's how we all started. That was 2002. But did you know anyone who were a stripper? Yes. So I used to work in a coffee shop and there was this guy called Joe and his girlfriend at the time. Um, she was a stripper. She was actually Swedish. <laughs> and uh, she was like, yeah, come for an audition. And every Monday they used to have auditions. So I went there and it was fully naked. And I, I was like, oh, my God. So I had four tequilas before my first ever stage show because I was super nervous. <laughs> I can imagine. And you were how old? I was 22. 22. 22 or maybe 21 about to be 22. And that's the same year Christina Aguilera released the album Stripped. So I think that was an omen. I was like, Christina Aguilera is sending me messages. Did you dance to that song? <laughs> no. So oh I remember uh, Shakira, I was, I'm always being a massive fan of Shakira because she's like the representative of all Latinos, right? And she had this song called Whatever, Whatever. I love that song. And then she said, yeah. looking at my breasts are small and humble. And I was like, yes, I identify with that. <laughs> my breasts were also small and humble. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did a whole choreography to that song but when I go to the club I actually forgot my CD because I was very nervous because back in the day you had to carry your CD oh yeah I was so nervous that I forgot my CD and I was like oh god what am I going to dance to now so I went to the manager and I said sorry but I, I actually forgot my CD and I had four tequilas by then too and he said oh just ask one of the girls to lend you some music so I went um, I went to one of the girls and I and she said yeah you can use this CD and I danced to Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin <laughs> That was my first ever strip. I mean, that whole memory of the dance is blank. Because <laughs> I was so nervous. Did you know how to dance before? I mean, coming from Venezuela has a massive dance culture. Since you're a kid, you go to any wedding or you go to all these, like Christians parties. <laughs> you know, like baptism. Everybody actually gets drunk and dance salsa. <laughs> I think Christianity is just an excuse to get drunk and dance salsa. <laughs> <laughs> at least back in the day so it's pretty much part of our culture you know like my parents are also really good dancers so we had it in our blood but dancing in a in a wedding with your family and your friends is very different to going on a pole in a in a bunch of like dudes watching you <laughs> and judging also like are you accepted or approved or did, could they say that you wouldn't be approved um i don't know i feel like um, the, the one of the wonderful things about this industry is that 
there is a market for everyone. Doesn't matter what you look like. There is always going to be somebody who's going to be exactly into what you're serving. <laughs> you can have whatever body you want. And one of the cool things about the place that I start is that it wasn't a high-end club. So they hired pretty much anyone. But that means that it was the most diverse club I ever work at. Like it was, I remember there was even a stripper. She was maybe in her 70s. Wow, I need to <laughs> She looked at me like Donatella Versace. Oh, wow. I mean, this was 2002. I don't know if she's still alive. <laughs> but I've never seen that in any other club. There were every skin color, every body shape, uh, every age. And I've never seen that ever again. So for me, that was a really cool, now that I look back into it, that was a really cool place to start. How was the relation between everyone <clears throat> at the club? Unfortunately, what happened in the UK, and it also happens in some of the clubs here in Germany, is that they book too many dancers. So they feel, I feel like a lot of the people that hire, they think that the more dancers, the better, when, but that's not necessarily true. So that creates a lot of competition sometimes because you see yourself that time is passing by and you're not making money. And also you have to pay the club uh, money to work. How much? So, so like depends. Like back in the day, I remember it was 30 pounds, but this is 2002. But it can go anywhere from 30 pounds all the way to 120 pounds. Depends where you are. And sometimes you have 100 girls on the floor and you're not making enough money. So sometimes that makes a quite tense, tense situation. Uh, but more often than not, I said that there was also a lot of sisterhood. Because even though the whole thing is designed for you not to thrive, somehow we managed to thrive. Mm. And somehow we managed to support each other. And that was something that I also found fascinating in, in this kind of environment because it's like, how come that everything is against us, but we still manage to make money, to look fabulous, to help each other out, to learn pole move, to kill it. And I was like, that was cool. How was your first shift? Uh, it was really, so I was really scared because obviously all the stigma attached to this industry and and I was always kind of a good girl, you know, like... Um, so I was really scared because I was like, oh, my God, I'm really going to jump into this sex industry water now, you know. But I also look at my fridge and it was completely empty <laughs> and rent was due soon. Mm. So I was like, OK, and I'm going to go for it. And I remember it was a really short shift. It was an afternoon shift because in the UK you can work from 12, 12 in the afternoon. Places are open. So guys are having the lunchtime with titties added on the side, <laughs> which was hilarious. Um so I did my, my four-hour shift and I made in four hours what I will make in three days work in the bar. So because I was getting paid maybe like seven pounds an hour back in the day in a bar job. And I made, I remember, 70 pounds in three and a half hours. So that was, then I was like, okay, this is something that maybe I should look into. And also it was cash, you know, so, oh yeah, I went to the supermarket, I remember after mm. that. So, but it was, I mean, it was a, it is definitely a challenge because, you're overcoming your own stigma, you're overcoming uh, your, own, your own ideas of what the industry should be. And also it was nothing like I thought it would be. Because I thought it would be a lot more glamorous. It was not glamorous at no. all. We used to get changed in a toilet and it was like 30 of us sharing a few cubicles toilet. Oh, yeah. Not even a proper changing room or anything like that. Oh. Yeah. What, what was like, how were the club owners like? He was a really dodgy guy called Marvin. I think he was from Ireland. <laughs> and he was gay also. <laughs> and all he cared about was the money that we brought in. I, I don't think they really cared about our health and safety. They didn't really care about if we had a proper change of room. There was a security guy that was really dodgy also. Um, so we actually, I felt more protected 
by all the dancers than I did by the actual guys running the venue. So I feel like, and even now, I feel like dancers protect each other more mm. than we get protected by the actual venue. That, oh. I mean, each venue is very different. I had really good venues that I worked at too. But back in the day, yeah, I felt like other dancers will have my back more than the security guys. What were like some of the lessons you learned then? I learned that um, not to look for trouble. So you try to be, I was always friendly to everyone. You know, like I'll come and say hi to everyone. Uh, if I see something that perhaps was a bit strange, I will go discreetly and ask them, is everything okay? You know, um, because when you make friends at the club, then you get all the insiders info. Oh, so yeah. you get all the insiders info. Who's the best customer? Who is a waste of time? Where is the best place to learn pole dancing? Where did you get the, the good outfits? So all that insider info you get when you become friends with the other dancers. So be professional, be nice, and then you're going to get all the juicy bits that are going to be helpful for you to work. Did you have a mentor? I had a few. I had a few. I remember there was this black girl um, called Kinky. <laughs> and she was an absolute goddess on the stage because when I started also, you know, like some of the things that girls were doing on the stage, I was fascinated by it. I was like, oh, my God. And back in the day, pole dancing, it was starting to become mainstream, but not to the level it's mainstream now. It was still pretty much something that just happened in strip clubs. Now it's like really popular. You have a lot of schools and it's become like really famous, but no back in the day. So I remember Kinky, one day I used to just stare at her every time she was on stage. And, and one day it was a quiet day on a Sunday. And, I, and she came to me, she's like, you want to learn some pole moves? And I was like, yes, she chose me. I felt like a goddess just touched me. <laughs> and then she was teaching me pole moves. So we used to teach each other when the club was quiet. And that was really cute. Nice. And how did you then build your persona of Shiki Love? Right from the beginning. Mm. Um, because I remember I was going to the club... Um, And most of the dancers would do exactly very similar routine. You know, it was like this R&B or like, no, oh, she's my bitch or my hoe. And they will go on the pole and do this like, and they all look quite serious. You know, I don't know. That's something that like, I really like the old fashioned way of um, sexy magazines. You know, in the 70s, all the girls were always smiling. And then suddenly at some point we decided that you have to look serious, right? Uh, but I didn't identify with that. I come from Venezuela. We have this huge, very vibrant carnival culture and salsa. And we are, we're really flamboyant in the way we are. And I was like, I want to bring some of that. So I was dressing up as a nurse. I was dressing up as a cat. I was doing all these like very elaborate like costumes. And all the other girls used to stare at me like, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> <laughs> but I, but that, that, be, that meant that I was different. Because that's another thing. You need to find what's your strength and play with it because you're competing with a lot of dancers who are beautiful, who also want that cash, who are also very professional. So you have to find what makes you unique. And I realized that me being theatrical and a little bit flamboyant is what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, but because nowadays you're not dressing up so much like it feels like at least what I've yeah, seen yeah, 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 you're yeah. mostly like you're very glamorous yes but you're not a nurse no, no no depends I mean really depends like I was I also there was also a massive shift in the industry so when I started it was mostly about the stage shows mm. so there was a place I used to work which was my favorite place to work called the White Horse back in the day and it was only a stage show so each of us will do five stage shows we go around collecting money with a with a jug with a jug So everybody has to pay minimum one pound. So we had to go around collecting money. Like, hey, I'm about to show my tits. Can you give me a pound? <laughs> But that meant that every girl did an incredible stage show because that's all we did. 
Then somewhere around, I'll say 2008, which is kind of along the lines where the econo big economic crisis happened. So there was a big change in the in worldwide economy, and that meant that a lot of the clubs suddenly became private dancing. So guys, the amount of dancers increased. So it was not five anymore. Suddenly we were 11. Then we were more and more because they realized that they can make money from us. So we are the ones that are making money for the clubs. And that meant that a lot of guys, if you were a bit too flamboyant, they didn't react to that so much. They, they want you to be sexy all the time, you know. So it's like I felt like it was a bit of a waste of time to do so much of a reproduction mm. when really all they wanted was some titties in their face. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, things did change, you know, and I think it, it, it changed for a bit more boring. And now you've been in the scene for 20 years. This 20 year. years. Yes. So you've been around on so many various yes. clubs. Yes. Like, is there anything when you come to a new club, is there anything that you are like, look out for, like red flags or, yeah. you know, these things when you enter a club, you're like, don't go to this place, choose <clears throat> that place because of like yeah. X, Y, Z. Uh, the atmosphere, I think. And also, I think um, security definitely is one of them. Like, who will have, in case of an issue, in which side are they going to be? Are they going to give priority to the customers or are they going to give priority to the dancers? Because I've been to clubs where guys... Because sometimes it's alcohol involved, like any place. I don't want to stigmatize our customers. But you go to a big club and somebody's drinking. Sometimes things get a bit out of hand, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes there are clubs that will allow people to stay even if they have bad behavior just because they want to sell an extra two beers to these people and i'm thinking yeah but you're making so much money out of the dancer you make more money out of the dancers than you do out of that guy two beers like why are you giving them priority mm. and also we are in our underwear wearing high heels you know like that that's already quite vulnerable uh and other things i would look i remember i went to this club in um hanover and they had a list of fines of all the reasons why they can take money from you so it was about 20 different things. So one of them using the phone on the floor was five euros. Uh, being backstage for more than 10 minutes was 10 euros. Uh, anything, not having uh, long nails was, it was a whole thing. And when I look at that list, I was like, oh my God. That's not having long nails? Yeah. like Are they paying for the nails? <laughs> no, but it was like a lot, it was like a list of 15 things that they would take money from you. And I was like, okay, I only lasted two days there. Yeah. <laughs> Like when you saw the list, you left or did no, you notice? No, no, I did my shift and mm. uh, but I broke all the rules. They're so <laughs> stupid. They have all these rules, but there are oh, always ways to. I wasn't the, I wasn't the backstage forever because it was not enough customers. <laughs> 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 but and yeah, and also like how how is the relationship between the dancers? Is it tense because a, a club that has a good atmosphere? then it's easier for you to make money. I mean, I really struggle to work in places where the atmosphere is a bit too tense. And that's often, that often comes from the people in charge. In charge, for sure. Mm. They create the atmosphere. By yeah. Allowing certain type of customers, like things like, very simple things as informing guys, like, please don't take pictures, respect the performers, make sure you tip them, have a wonderful time. You can be very polite, but establish certain rules. <clears throat> but if they don't do that, then it creates a really weird atmosphere. And also the amount of dancers that you're booking. If you have a small club, why are you putting 50 dancers there? You know, that creates a lot of competition and even the guys don't like it because every two minutes they have somebody asking them for money. Mm. You know, so it's, it actually is bad for all of us. Yeah. Besides money, what's some pro <clears throat> things? Oh my God, definitely. I mean, I love it. <laughs> Within... I, 
I have, uh, I've been a teacher, English and Spanish. I've been an office worker, believe it or not. I've been a waitress and I'm just a really good stripper. <laughs> like I try the other jobs. <laughs> and I just really like the moment I'm the happiest is when I'm on the stage. Also the sisterhood and also the people you meet. I have met some really interesting characters that I know I would have never met in a normal job. Like I met politicians. I've met even members of royalty. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I've been to some really fun. I've been to the really low end places. I'm not gonna let, uh, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I also been to some really high end places that I I know ever in my life I would have access to that if it wasn't for my job. Do you think that speaking of like royalties or these high position people, <laughs> uh, do you think they let loose at the strip club, or would you say oh, they didn't go to? I, that was not a strip club. That was a private party. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it was a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but could you notice that they were a little bit they like, were nervous, nervous but, they, were, yeah. but they, they enjoyed it yeah but uh, yeah I met celebrities through my job you know and uh, yeah definitely got to see us and that also makes you really humble because it makes you realize that humans are not that different from each other you know we all want to have a good time we all want to have a, see a nice show we all want to have a little bit of sexiness and naughtiness and that that's not a difference between the high class or the low class I think everybody Let's Looking for fun. fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the backside? The bad side, I think you need to be very strong mentally. Because I think nowadays with social media, it's also very glamorized. I feel like there's a lot of glamoriz glamorization of the sex industry. You no, know, you see these girls on TikTok, on Instagram going, oh, you can make all this money in two days and I have this sugar daddy that gives me millions. And I'm like, that's a complete lie. <laughs> and there's no way you're going to have a sugar daddy without giving sugar. <laughs> sugar is a good part of sugar daddy. Because I get a lot of girls saying, like, oh my God, and you have to hang out with them. I say, yes, of course you have to hang out with them. And um, so it is long hours. You have to be very strong because you're going to be rejected a lot. You're going you're gonna to get people being mean to you sometimes. Telling like I had guys saying to me, like, oh, but your boobs are not big enough. Oh, but she's beautiful, more beautiful than you. Oh, but, you know, so sometimes guys can be really mean because that's also a reflection of them. So you have to learn that when someone is mean to you, it's not about you. It's about them that they need to put you down because whatever issues they have with themselves. And also your boundaries. If you don't have your boundaries clear, then it could get really blurry and it can get really messy if you start doing things that you're not happy with or you feel that you're pressured uh, by and be ready to not sleep much. <laughs> be ready to be stigmatized by society a lot because even, even cities like Berlin where we're so open, there's still a lot of stigma attached to our job. Like there is a big thing about sex work being work, but I cannot put it on my CV. I cannot put it on a, on an application if I want to look for an apartment. I cannot put it in my bank. Like, hey, I'm, I'm a stripper. Can I have a bank account? Like, I really have to hide what I do a lot. That's to, because it's it's a legal yeah. work. So that's really weird. Yeah, I mean, here it's legalized, but people still see. Uh, and, and, and I think stripping is one of the most uh, accepted ones out of all the sex industries. It's still like one of the mainstream ones. But even though, because we have so much negative <clears throat> portrayals of uh, what dancers are, You have to be ready to deal with that. You have to be ready to people judging you. You have to be ready for hiding a lot of stuff from your family, friends sometimes. And that's, that's, that's a bit tough. Yeah. Speaking of family and friends, like when did you, or did you tell your family? Well, it was, uh, it was, it's a funny story because I hide it for like two years. <clears throat> so for two years, and me and my mom, we have a very strong relationship. So, but I was like, fuck, how am I going to tell her, you know, like, 
because it's such a big part of, and I was actually enjoying what I was doing. I was enjoying the money. So I invited her over to London because every, every Christmas I was bringing like really good presents, you know, like brown. Suddenly. Like, and my mom was like, wow, that restaurant pays you really well. And I was like, yeah, we have really good tips at the restaurant. It is waitressing job. <laughs> so I used to work in a lesbian bar called the Candy Bar back in London, which was so funny. Like I've never seen anything like it again. And it was run by this uh, woman called Kim Lucas, big, big butch lady, you know. Uh, so I took my mom to the Royal Opera House to see the Nutcracker. I got her champagne. We did the whole thing, obviously with my waitress in money. <laughs> and then I, I was performing at the candy bar. So I went to Kim and I said, Kim, <clears throat> my mom doesn't know I'm a stripper. This is the first time she's going to see me. And who me. was Kim? So Kim Lucas used to run the lesbian bar. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, the other bar I used to work was fully naked and it was a, a bunch of like, like I was like, okay, between the two, I think I need to take her to the lesbian bar. It's like the milder version of the hetero bar. <laughs> so I went there. I was about to go on stage. I tell Kim, I said, Kim, please, can you help me? I said, no, Chiki, don't worry. I'm going to give your mom some wine and some pussy shots. She's going to be fine. <laughs> some pussy, sh- pussy shots. It was like this little pink shot. I was like, okay. <clears throat> so okay, mama, I'm going to do my thing. I'll see you in a minute. So I come back. I start going on the pole, doing my thing. And my mom is staring at me like, like shock, you know, but also a bit surprised and also a bit fascinated. She was just, her face was changing, but it wasn't necessarily a bad face. She was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then I come out of the stage sweating and I say, <clears throat> mom, uh, what do you think? It's like, I can't believe you can do all of that on the pole when you've always been so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, how much money are you making? Let's buy an apartment. <laughs> Don't waste your money. So I invested in a flat in Gran Canaria. <laughs> you still have that flat? Yes, I still have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, my mom was like, okay, now we need to invest this money somewhere, which was really clever. Yeah, so she was cool. Or did you have any questions? I mean, of course, I think considering and what I've seen with a lot of my colleagues, I think she did really well. You know, mm. obviously it's not ideal. And obviously every so often she will come to me and say things like, oh, I wish you were something else or I wish you, you had a different job. But obviously... That's a concern for her from my safety, which is fair enough. You know, that's what moms do. You know, they're concerned for you. But I mean, it was a little bit painful uh, to have my whole family. And also when my dad found out, he found out through Facebook. So people were tagging me. And that was a different story because South America is still very traditional. Exactly. He was not together with your mom and he lived He was living in Venezuela. And when Facebook started to came out. Then I was tagged in a lot of pictures wearing latex leggings and <laughs> going to like, I was like, I was like an erotica exhibition in London. You know, I was wearing like this Barbarella bra. <laughs> and my, my family in Venezuela was like, whoa, okay. And they said, they said really hurtful things about me. And that was really painful. So my your, relationship. Your dad did or your family. My, on fa- that my dad always side. offended me, but, but it was some painful things said about me that was really hurtful. And that I feel like, yes, I feel like my relationship with that side of the family did break a little bit Mm. um, after that. But then I also thought, I mean, going to South America is a very different mentality. The way the sex industry works there is very different too. So they don't have any idea of of how it is here. So I understand why, but also I understand. But then at some point in my life, I realized like, hang on a minute, I'm an adult. Like they don't pay my rent, you know, like at the end of the day. We also choose our family too. You know, you have your blood family, but you also have the family that you choose, which are your friends and other people. So 
Yeah. But now it's better though. It did took a while. But I don't care anymore to be honest. <laughs> what they think that felt that was a difference. Yeah, too. you stop caring when people I are like caring. Yeah. But it was hard for, yeah, for that for, because I was 28, 27 mm. at the time and and all I saw myself, I knew how hard I was working. I knew I was paying for my studies. I knew I was paying for for a flat so I can have somewhere to live when I will be older because they never really helped me that much anyway. Mm. So I knew my side of the story. They didn't know that. All they saw me was like, "Oh, she's partying in latex leggings being a whore." <laughs> this and that. And I was like, "No, I was actually working too." and yeah. trying to survive you know and working pretty hard too i was working re- I'm, I'm, a, i'm a really hard worker yes yeah how did you come to berlin so london for me was still is my one of my spiritual homes you know like i have a lot of really good friends there and i had a really good time in london however <clears throat> brexit came <clears throat> so Brexit happened. Nobody really expected that. Then also became a super expensive city to live and and too hectic. Like for me, London became too fast and too expensive. And I was becoming quite a bit stressed because the money I was making was I was not saving any money because in London, whatever money you make really disappears in a minute. So from being able to buy an apartment, suddenly you yeah, I was not saving any money. Like all the money was, and also I took a little break from stripping because mentally can be really really taxing for your mental health because you're constantly hustling and this and so I took a couple of years break working in an office which I hated <laughs> but it was good for my mental health not to be at the club all the time but yeah I, I was not made for office work and and then I was like okay where can I live that is similar to London in terms of diversity and artists scene club because I live of nightlife so I need a city that have a, a diverse nightlife because that's what fits me And also all the clubs in London were closing down. Suddenly all the nightlife disappeared, you know, all the because I was doing go-go dancing, burlesque, teaching, and, and I saw how it was becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and how the conditions of working were becoming more difficult and more difficult because more dancers were coming in, but they, all they care was of how much money you can make but not about our well-being. So, so then I was like, okay, the most similar place to London is Berlin. And also I had... But a, had you... How, did you know Berlin since before so that? So I be I came to Berlin in 2016 for a fetish party at KitKat. The fetish uh, it's called um, I think it's called Fetish Weekend or something like this. Mm. And I I I loved it, but I didn't see myself living here. I was like, okay, I like this city, but I didn't see myself just there. And then uh, I had a friend that was working in a strip club here, and she was like, Chiki, why don't you come and try and see how it goes? And I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. And this was. 2000, so I came here to work 2017, but I was coming just for like two weeks at a time and mm. working at this club. And then I realized, and I met some of the dancers and they were so fun. I've noticed that there was not so much uh, anxiety to make money like London. London is all about money. You have mm. to make money because it's such an expensive city. Like here, the guys were a bit more punk and a bit more rock and roll and everybody was a bit more chill and, and the shows were a bit crazier. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can do that. This is fun. And also we were getting, we were getting paid. In London, you never get paid. You like you pay the club to work, but here we were getting like a 50 euro small gauge, which compared to London, I was like, wow, we get 50 euros. No, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so I liked it. Yeah, like I like how more chill uh, Berlin was, and also that that you have a space that that traveling from A to B is not so stressful. That you can afford things, you can afford rent and food. Wow. <laughs> and you're also like one of the founding members of. Or the founding member of Berlin Strippers Collective. Yes. So I actually am the co-founding member of two. So this all started in London in back 2014. 
me and my colleagues, even though we we had this in common that we did enjoy our job, we love dancing, we love the sisterhood. However, we were always complaining that the working conditions could be a bit better, mm-hmm. and that and that sex workers should have more of a say in how to run sexy shows because they never ask for our opinion for anything and it's like we are the ones talking to the customers we are the one doing the job every day how come you never ask us what how can we make it better so we started to do our own events uh back in london one of the main events is a live drawing session where all the models are strippers so we were using the pole and people love it and then we started to do our own cabaret nights and people absolutely loved it because they were super fun and diverse and, and, and it was really silly and we had different themes and we realized, okay, this is something that is pretty cool. And also we were talking about working conditions, um, how, how to improve uh, what we do, how to be more diverse, how to be more inclusive. And then I came to Berlin and I saw the same thing. Incredible dancers, uh, really good um, personalities, but then the working conditions again <laughs> were a little bit of a letdown. So this is a theme that kept repeating everywhere I go, that something that could be so much fun and empowering suddenly has people running it that don't really listen to us so much. So we started the one in Berlin in 2017, just a little bit before the pandemic. So we, we started it really successfully and then suddenly, bang, everything closed mm. down. And that's when I met you the first time yes, also. Yes, because we started more or less at the same time. Yeah, I I noticed you because you were writing in a Facebook group oh, about yeah. you and what you do. And I was like, wow, this is brilliant. And, <laughs> and that's how we featured you. And that, yeah, that was 2008, just before the before pandemic. Before the pandemic. Yeah, because we were meeting the first time at our second issues release party. Yes. And that was like the weekend before yes. the lockdown or something. We had Scotty the Bunny there, I remember. Yes, always. <laughs> Lovely so Scotty. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing that I have so much love and passion for for this industry because it has brought me opportunities that I would have never have gotten with a normal job. You know, like mm. I have been able to travel. I paid for my university. I paid for for an apartment that when I get older, I have somewhere to live. Uh, and I have met incredible people, you know, like, and I just really love showing my tits in public <laughs> on the stage. I'm really good at it. <laughs> like, it makes me, I like to see people having fun and also to empower female sexuality because I, I was brought up in a Catholic country. Mm-hmm. So the narrative, even though it's a very sexualized culture in South America, it's also very misogynist, right? So women are whores or you're a virgin or you're this and you're that. And I'm like... No, we're not. We're a lot more complex than that. And I want to own my body. I want to express my sexuality and I want to do it however I want. And in fact, I have a really funny story. I remember once I was at the White Horse because I used to dance to the boys when I be here by Peaches. Fully naked. I was like Sakimbo up on the pole playing air guitar with my pussy. (laughs) 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 And I remember I I had a boyfriend at the time and he was among the crowd. So when I started doing that, uh, this guy was like, wow, man, I would love to fuck Cheeky. And apparently the other guy said, no, Cheeky will fuck you. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's a good vibe. I like that. <laughs> oh my God. But you also have, like, you also come from a family because, I mean, there has been some acceptance yeah. within from your mom and grandma, yes, right? Yes. So you had, like, some somewhere to get oxygen from. Yes. So, I mean, my family, I'm very lucky and grateful that I have a lot of strong references in my family. My mom is a very strong woman. She's very intelligent and she's also really funny. So even though we have our differences normal, moms and daughters, we have differences. But I'm really grateful that I come from uh, from very strong women 
and also the people I've met in my industry. I've met some really incredible women too that I feel super inspired by. If we like look at the industry from when you started 20 years ago and until today, what are some things that have changed? I think it has become harder. Uh, let's remember that the sex industry is one of the few industries that doesn't discriminate in hiring, right? Like you can be any gender, you can be any social status, you can be any age, and you can make a bit of money in the sex industry. Um, but unfortunately, it's also one of the few industries that fits the most marginalized communities. So a lot of the sex industry is by migrant women, uh, gender diverse people, trans people, because we don't get as much access to normal, regular employment as other people, right? <clears throat> like if I put my CV, for example, for a company, there is a higher chance they're going to hire someone from Germany or than they're going to hire me, right? Especially being a woman. And if you're, then if you're trans, then it's a, a whole set of difficulties there. So I feel after the pandemic, there is definitely an increase in poverty. And let's remember that a lot of the no very stable jobs like service jobs, cleaning jobs, anything that had to do with entertainment. Most of the time, these jobs are, again, made by migrants, minorities, women. And, and these are the first people that lost their job when the pandemic happened. So I have noticed an increase in flux of people. Also, we have a war going on, right? So this creates a lot of displacements. <clears throat> so I have noticed that there is an increase of people looking for work, but because they know a lot of the people that run these venues that there is that kind of desperation for people to make a bit of money, then the 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 kind of like conditions have decreased um, because it's, it's a very much a disposable culture going on. So it's like, oh, if you don't want to work here, then somebody else will take your job. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and this is really sad. And also in our industry, because back in the day it was a novelty, right? Like back, like I, I unfortunately I didn't take the best bit of a stripping. The generation before me, they make a lot of money because the internet came in, so you can watch porn for free on the internet anytime. So it's not a novelty anymore, you know. Anywhere you like, you any any pop video like Anaconda, for example, my Nikki, that's a, that's that's a lot more racy <laughs> than any of my own shows, to be honest. <laughs> so even music videos now are so full on that it's really. I think make, it's more people doing it. It's less exciting. I think I think it's less exciting because it's everywhere you look. It's like a very sexy image going on, and also there is this disposable kind of idea that anyone can do your job, which is not true. But in another hand, I also feel that because of the pandemic, so many people spend time alone. There are a lot more people because that nothing will replace human touch. Mm. Nothing. You can have all the technology you want. You can have everything, all the music videos that you want, whatever. But human touch is very important. And people will be surprised that a lot of the guys just want to chat sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that's the other Feel thing. Feel noticed. Yeah, or, people just want to chat, mm. you know. And uh, and again, it, like, to find someone to just have a nice conversation with, uh, it's, uh, it's hard sometimes. You know, to have someone to have sex in a minute, you can have the person in a second go to any app. But, to have somebody to have a chat and have a sort of connection and to listen to then and also like mental health is stigmatized too like going to a psychologist or something I think is stigmatized and it's so expensive it's very expensive it's very expensive mm. not everybody can access it but I think a lot of the guys that come to our venues they're just looking for connection more than anything else yeah <laughs> yeah and I met some really cool guys, you know, like that's the other thing that everybody has this esteem. Oh, guys are sleazy or they're horrible. Like, no, I met some really lovely guys, you know, in my industry. And I'm still friends with a lot of them, actually. 
Mm. In fact, it's funny because my longest relationship is with, with my customers more than any boyfriend that I ever had. <laughs> I had customers I had for 15 years. I don't have a boyfriend that ever lasted that long. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, would you say that they know you or maybe you know them better? I think it's a weird one because obviously when somebody pays for your time, you're going to be friendly. You know, they're never going to see me grumpy or go, oh, I hate everyone, you know. So maybe a little bit of that, but you are in your best behavior sort of thing. However, I have no, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it's capitalism that has made this happen. But I've noticed that it seems like they treat me better than guys I see from a dating app or something. I feel like my cost, because they know what the deal is. They know that they need to pay for my time. Hmm. And during the pandemic, they were the ones texting me, like, Chiki, are you okay? You need money for your rent? Is everything fine? Like, I didn't have any Tinder dates asking me if I needed money for my rent. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are curious to hear how a day at the club looks like or how, yeah. you know, like the whole, if you could take us with you yes. from like, when you're at home until you get ho- back home. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the beautiful things that keep, keep me addicted a little bit to this job is, first of all, that you can choose your schedule, right? So you, if you want to work on a Friday, you don't want to work. You, you have pretty much, not many jobs give you that flexibility. If I want to go on holiday next week, I can, you know. Um, every night is very different. But I, I wrote an article for one of your magazines, actually, remember, which yes. is really funny. I love that so, piece. It could be really fun. So at the beginning, I normally do my... Uh, I'm just going to say, it's named as, uh, uh, The Diary of a Stripper. Oh, yeah. The right? Secret, Secret Diary of a Stripper Secret or something diary of a like stripper. this. Oh, it's brilliant. You can find it online. Yeah, you can find it online. So mm. you can have an idea what's going on there. Uh, but normally I do my makeup at home. Um, but there is a big changing room. So you go to the club and all the girls are like putting the pleasers on and they're checking if the tampon string is showing or something. And you go like, no, your tampon string is fine. <laughs> so that's the thing that the friendship that you make in the clubs are so intense because you get really intimate really quickly. That's not something you'll do with a normal friend outside. Like, like I just met somebody and I'm already checking if her tampon string is showing. <laughs> you know? And she's telling me her name is Lollipop or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Lollipop, your tampon string is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we all normally have to be at the floor by a certain time, different clubs, different times, but normally it's 9.30 or 10. Otherwise, you get a fine. There are clubs that find you if you're not. How much dot. is it? Oh, it could be 10 euros. It could be 15. But I've never seen any other job where you get fined for things like this, no. especially because we're freelancers, right? But anyway, that aside, I just had to mention. <laughs> uh, then we wait for the guys to come in. So normally, if you have more than two guys, then one of us needs to go on stage. There is a character that repeats itself on the club, which is the DJ club. Sometimes you're lucky, but more often than not, you get a guy that plays terrible music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so once I saw a dancer, she's an incredible dancer too, that had to be sexy to who let the dogs out. <laughs> who let the dogs out? And, I was, and she was looking, I knew like, for fuck's sake, really. So maybe you get a dancer dancing to who let the dogs out around 10, 15. <laughs> Warming up the audience. Warming up the audience to that sexy music. <laughs> <laughs> or, and then, yeah, so you have a dream, then the guys start to come in. Normally, things get busy, let's say, around from 11 onwards. 
Like the first hour is a little bit dead. So most of us, you see a girl maybe like texting her Pomeranian dog or like, you know, <laughs> or you see like girls chatting, catching up with each other. Then you get the wild ones getting a shot of tequila because they need to get a little bit tipsy before things get up. You see some girls practicing on the pole. So when the club is empty, some are stretching, some are checking, FaceTiming their boyfriend or whatever. Uh, and then when things get busy, if it's a Saturday night, you get a lot of guys who are going to get married. So you get like all this bachelor's party, which I actually hate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why? Why do you hate Because them? they're very rowdy. When men are in big groups, they just want to show off to each other. You know, like, oh, that's my man. They, they become very much, it's, it's like a school children, you know, and you have like the, the oh, yeah, I don't want to dance. My friend wants to dance. So I don't have the personality for these guys. Like show off in front of each other. They show or... off in front of each other. We're just an accessory for them to show off for each mm. other. But then you have girls who are really good at it. There was this really good dancer called Roxana, and she used to take the main guy on the stage and just beat the shit out of him. And this could be like 11 at night. There is a guy already butt naked getting a slap by a stripper. <laughs> having tequila from his own shoe <laughs> and he's like fuck it's not even midnight <laughs> diving then, yeah but they don't i like the quieter nights because i like the older guys and i like the kind of more chill vibe so so normally you get like guys who are business trip you know and they come and they want to have a bit of company or you have guys that are visiting the city for a couple of days but as again what normally what they want is to chat and a bit of a sexy sexy friendship let's say but yeah that's and then also the, the the more the time the night gets in, there is a girl also that I really love. She every time she's drunk, she starts to do the splits everywhere. <laughs> so you know she's drunk <laughs> because she just randomly starts to do the splits everywhere. And that's normally around 3 a.m. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. And then it's hustling, you know. You you get that's the thing in Berlin, you get commissions for your drinks, so you need to sell bottles, you need to sell drinks. Um, if you don't know how to control your alcohol, it could be a little bit uh, unhealthy for you. So you, if you're a new stripper, be careful with how much you drink and how you uh, do that because I see girls getting really wasted and then not knowing. Do you pour it out? Like, how do you do to, con to uh, if someone offers you... I mean, I drink. I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know how these girls that are sober the whole night do it. There, there must be some kind of witches. <laughs> I need to be a bit tipsy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess sometimes you drink very slow or you just tell the guy, you know, you, you figure it out somehow, but you do get commission. Um, the later it becomes, then the more, also the more tense things, because if you haven't made money, then this is your time to go and push for some money. At like 3 a.m. 3, 4, yeah, the clubs, so here the clubs operated really late, like till 6, 7 sometimes. I mean, I'm done by that time. By 5, I'm dead, completely mm. dead. And also you've been going on stage for quite a few times. That's why I prefer the quieter nights because you finish at five and <clears throat> and I like the older dudes. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, normally girls, somebody will do the split, somebody will get drunk, somebody will lose their bra. <laughs> Some guy's going to get spanked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to hear some stories later. Yeah. But like, um, what are some stigmas you come across as a, as a stripper? I, again, I think I'm part of the, I think the stripper is the most kind of socially accepted out of all of the sex industry. However, I've noticed an, a change in, first of all, when I, even dating, right? So sometimes I use apps to make some dudes because I realize that most of my friends are gay guys or other strippers. Mm. <laughs> so I don't really get to know many hetero dudes unless it's at the club. I dated men I, I met at the club. Sometimes you have that connection, you know? Mm. But 
let's say I want to use an app, um, sometimes I don't know how to approach it because I feel like men either will fetishize you. They go, oh, I have this stripper. So you're not, you're not a person anymore. You're this stripper. Mm. Um, or they just became, became really weird about it. You know, they will be, oh, well, I don't, and that's, you know, they start to think that maybe that's something bad. And also for like the, like, again, like, for example, if I want to apply for an apartment, I cannot really say, oh, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a stripper. Then there's a high chance I won't get that apartment. Um, if I go to a bank account and I want to ask for a loan and I say, hey, can I ask a loan? And they say, how are you going to pay? But well, I'm, I'm stripping. It's a, it's a high chance I won't get that loan either. So you constantly have to edit who you are and to be careful who you tell who you are. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty open with what I do. But if, for example, I was teaching English back in Chile, I wouldn't say to my students, I was a stripper, for example, you know, I would keep that quiet because, yeah. Maybe, do you feel that it's an unnecessary thing for them to know if they yeah. would change their opinion about you? Yeah, or? I feel like, I mean, you can lose your job. Even people, things like OnlyFans, that's something that happened in the pandemic. I've seen a lot of articles about teachers losing their job because they, re, uh, they found out that they had an OnlyFans account. Oh yeah, so you can you can lose your job, you can lose a lot of stuff um, if you if you say to the wrong person, and it's a shame because it is a job at the end of the day, and especially in the pandemic, people had to pay their bills, you know, and without being able to work, what you're gonna do? Let's say you have a a lot of my industry is also single moms, mm. it's also people that send money home to help their family back home, so you have to pay those bills somehow. There are like a lot of various opinions about sex work that we have been talking about and in what way do you think that harms sex workers yeah i mean for me is i think it's very stigmatized because every job has its positive and its negative right like mm. i have worked in an office i had normal jobs and i never had enough money to leave I, the hours were super long But never, nobody talks about that. Like you don't go to an office working and go like, hey, you must be stigmatized. You're not making enough money to eat, right? But for some reason, people always feel like they can ask me really personal questions just because of what I do. Like I have guys coming to me like, how much you make a night? I'm like, excuse me, are you the tax man? <laughs> Who are you? Why should I tell you that? Or are you being exploited? I'm like, are you being exploited? Like like I've seen girls working in supermarket in a cashier. You don't get paid that much. That's also exploitation, you know? Or, they, or when our clothes are made, like all these big factories, that's also exploitation, but they're not stigmatized, right? Uh, the farmers, how much the farmers get paid, you know? That's mm. exploitation too. So I feel like with our industry also, again, has to do with female sexuality and empowerment and freedom, because it's one of the few jobs that allows you to make enough money for you to not just survive, but to actually live. Because I was just scraping with all the other jobs I had. And with sex work is the only job I can afford to pay for university. The only job mm. that I had enough time to study. But society has a problem with women having enough income and being free, it seems. And so they always tend to do, the, they, and also you have religion on top of that. Religion has always demonized sex, right? So mm. anything that has to do with sex is like, oh, that's bad, you're horrible. And if you're making, like, I remember. Especially if you're a woman. Yeah, and I remember being a kid, like when I was maybe 13, I always looked very young. I was very skinny. And men were already sexualizing me. Mm. I remember walking down the street and men staring at me. And I was 13, 14 years old. yeah, yeah. And the moment I turned that corner, I said, okay, you're going to sexualize me. You're going to pay for this. Then they had a problem with that. <laughs> so they don't have a problem with sexualizing us. They have a problem with us making money out of that. That's true. You know? Yeah. 
And I feel like when you look at cinemas or you look at articles, it's always like, oh, they're victims or they're being exploited. So, Aren't we all victims? This system fuck us all. <laughs> <laughs> but I found a way to get fucked by the fish that I actually like. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Or I enjoy more. I wouldn't say that. Because people say, oh, is that your dream job? No, I don't dream about labor. I want to be on the beach drinking margaritas. <laughs> that, that would be my dream. <laughs> but if I have to choose a job, this is the one that adapts better to how I am and what I like. If you're a Patreon, you'll get to listen to Shiki Loves Stripper Stories as she shares the insights of some funny days at the office. Go to patreon.com slash playful magazine to listen. It's either this or it's that. This is this or that. We have one last thing okay. that's called this or that. Oh. So now you'll say which one you prefer. Okay. Uh, documentaries or horror films? Documentaries. Yeah, yes. I can imagine. Yes, 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 yes. Early mornings or late nights? <gasps> oh, I guess my life is late night. But do, do you love it? But I do love a nice sunrise. But you also get to see, after a late night, you get to see the sunrise too, right? True, so. you get <laughs> winning. <laughs> yeah, and then you go, you go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, who would you vote for as a president? Ilan. No. <laughs> Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg? Oh my God, Chicholina. I remember she was part of the Italian parliament. Chicholina for president, please. <laughs> She's not in this question. No, I'm, I don't, I'm not voting. You were, you were going to ra- vote blank or you're going to not vote? I'm going to put Chicholina on it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, on the same theme, Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. I found Twitter super stressful. Yeah. Too many arguments there. Everybody's always arguing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's, that's like the whole idea of the platform. I, I guess. know. I mean, some of stuff is really funny, but I find it too intense. Yeah. I also yeah. heard that now they have this kind of like, uh, sh- like voice, you know, uh, cl- what, what Clubhouse. Okay. They have started something that is like this on oh. Twitter. So you can talk, like okay. have conversations in groups. Right. And now Elon Musk. Oh, nice. so yeah I, yeah, I think it's going to it's it's a it's a daytime job for her him. <laughs> I think he was saying that they're going to start charging for sexy content there. They're going to charge for sexy content. Yeah, because a lot of the sex workers were using Twitter because it was one of the less what? regulated, and I think now he wants to start charging. That's what I read recently. But I have no idea how's that going to impact sex workers. Though. But out well, of all the platforms, this was one of. So the he's going to get the money for their work. He's going to be our new pimp. Interesting. Yes. Elon Musk is our pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Lord. There's never ending story. Never ending. Okay. Beach or big city life? Oh my God. Well, beach, yes. But beach. I mean, I love city life, but yeah. My family's in the Canaries, so I have a big connection to the ocean. Yeah. Yes. Um, Voice message or text? Oh my God, text. Don't voice message me, please. <laughs> this is like hell. <laughs> it's popping up more th- and more though. Like, um, the worst is when people voice message about work. Like, I don't have time to listen to voice messages about work. Yes. I think sometimes it's necessary because you can do more in short period of time. You know, if it's something It's, it's good important. for the person who does it. Yeah. But for the receiver, it's yeah. like, y- you cannot listen to it everywhere. Yeah. You have to like... Yeah. And then you cannot like just... You you need to find time for it. Yes. Like, 
Sometimes if, it's, sometimes if you really need to, then fair, but, but definitely text message, please. Don't voice message. Because then you can just read briefly and you know if it's important yes. or not. Like Just say, like, call me. <laughs> <laughs> call me. Lots of semi-close friends or one super close? Uh, I think I have quite a lot of semi-close friends. I have a, I have my brother, which is Rosie Lahore. So he's my spiritual, I found my spiritual brother, but I do have a lot of semi-close friends. What do you prefer? It's hard because I love them all. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. They're all necessary though. They are, for yeah. sure. Uh, weekend or weekdays? Oh, it's funny because uh, actually with Lexi, <clears throat> we're talking about her. We call the week, the, we call the whole weekend is Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> so my weekend's. Or Monday, Tuesday, so I'm going to say weekday. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do then normally? Nothing. I watch a lot of RuPaul Drag Race <laughs> and watch all my costumes and yeah, maybe go and see a friend or something, but my weekends are normally Monday, Tuesday. Yes. Um, false hope or no hope at all? <laughs> no hope at all. Yeah. Yes. I'd rather know what's going on. Yeah. Topless or bottomless? Oh! Oh, topless. Yes. We've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a nice bottom, but I like to keep some for the imagination. <laughs> also, you can show a lot of bottoms, even, <laughs> even like. Exactly. <laughs> even when I'm covering, there's even, a lot of bottoms. <laughs> bottomless brunch, though. That's a good one. <laughs> that is the new, <laughs> that's the new thing. <laughs> All right. Last one. Okay. Stay at home or go out? Okay, my job is going out. So my time off, I like to stay at home. Yay! Yeah. Thank you so much. This was it for Playful Podcast this week. But please follow, subscribe and listen to our next episode. And if you want to have a say about future artists or even ask your own question to one of our guests, follow us on Instagram and make sure to add your question when we lift our coming guests. Thank you so much for joining and see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.